nachos. No rain, no wind, no snow. Bicycle. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. It is Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, and my name is Matt Pollard. The Premier League is back and will begin with champions Fulham hosting puny Liverpool, who only finished second in their league last season. Football is coming home as the three Lionesses defeated Germany in the Women's Euro Final on Sunday. Germany are now 0-3 in finals on English soil, and yes, I'm counting Operation Sea Lion in those three. And the impossible has happened as the Colorado Rapids have won a game on the road. I'm joined now by the Maverick to my Iceman. Rabbi Mark Goodman, you are still dangerous, but you can be my podcast co-host anytime. P.S. You can be my podcast (laughs) co-host. Matt does all the editing, so he gets to be Maverick in this iteration. Did you just see the movie, man? I did. I am having a fantastic week, Mark, because I did. So I did Mount Massive on Sunday with having Massive. an open. Yes. Yeah, so which is the second highest peak in Colorado as a 14er, folks, uh, 14,400 and change, just Ooh. slightly shorter than Mount Elbert, which is just due south of it. Um, so this is both of these are southwest of Leadville, if you want to know about that, folks. So I did that in the morning, Mark. And then I came back, caught some of the late night MLS. Uh, there was a little house party hosted by our good friend, Joseph Samuelson had a lazy Sunday, proceeded to go to Coors Field and get not burnt, but certainly a little tan and a little tipsy uh, in the rock pile. Then Monday night, uh, I saw Top Gun Maverick, thought it was absolutely fantastic. Dare I say better than the first Top Gun? Uh, Tom Cruise was amazing. Uh, And then obviously last night was last night, Mark, which I would argue is the best of the four preceding nights that I've had. And now to make it five wins in a row uh, on on the evening, um, I'm podcasting with you. Oh, that is very sweet. You're firing on all cylinders, man. And I am really glad that you think that the win last night was the the highlight of the whole shebang, because that that shows what a true believer you are in our Colorado Rapids, that you just one week after I gave a dour and depressing forecast of the future, here we are with the Colorado Rapids ruining any attempts at me looking like a prognosticator that one should take to the bank. Nobody should ever use our podcast for betting purposes. Um, although I would really love it if we could get a better a betting company to sponsor us so that we could make bad bets on our own bets that we no longer that we don't have to worry about financially covering with our own money that like you know bet MGM will cover all my ridiculous terrible predictions like we're gonna lose in a slow game with few goals in New York City. Uh, Mark MLS is chaos. MLS is dark after chaos, and uh, MLS. Chaos happens in MLS After Dark, and even more so on Midweek MLS. So it was absolutely insane. But, Mark, let's get to the news of the day. Earlier today, it was officially confirmed that the Colorado Rapids have signed a former Sporting Kansas City midfielder, Felipe Gutierrez, um, from on loan for the remainder of the MLS season from his current Chilean club, CD Universidad Católica, um, so that is a loan through the end of the season. This also included the Rapids sending 
$50,000 in 2022 general allocation money for Gutierrez's MLS priority. Um, he's an exciting player, Mark. He's a very good attacking player um, and certainly brings something to the midfield that I think the Rapids don't have. One could also argue, given uh, the relationship that he and Diego Rubio have off-field, they're very, very good friends from the Chilean national team. And even though neither of them has been called up recently, I wouldn't say they have on-field chemistry, but off-field chemistry is certainly important, Mark, in the same way that Jonathan Lewis and Giassi Zardes have a very good relationship with uh, with Giassi exclusively referring to Jonathan Lewis as J. Lou as opposed to Johnny or Jonathan or Lewis like members of the media or like some of his teammates who normally just refer to him as Johnny. So there's some good stuff there. Uh, he was very, very good with Sporting Kansas City, folks, in the three seasons he was with the team. Uh, in 2018, 20 appearances, 18 starts, 15 182 minutes, seven goals to assist. And then in 2019, when he was spectacular, he started 31 games, uh, 2,722 minutes played, 12 goals, three assists. That seems more like a DP striker than necessarily a DP number 10 in terms of proportions of goals to assist in any case. And then he did not play in 2020. He had a knee injury and then obviously left after COVID happened and everything. So when he was on and playing well, all the people who I know who are in the note sport in Kansas City say that he was a a very, very good and very effective chance creating and goal scoring number 10. The caveat here is when he was healthy and effective, he was injury prone at times. He is 31 years old. He'll turn 32 uh, by the end of the or by the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs. His birthday is in early October. Uh, and this season, Mark, uh, with CD Universidad, he has 16 appearances, three goals, and one assist. Transfer market currently rates his value at just under $1 million. For reference point, folks, that's right around uh, where they rank Ralph Prizo for what that matters. Uh, Mark, this is a very good player. This is a player who's familiar with Major League Soccer. This is a player who my view on expectations and how we will view this is probably dependent on how much financially the Rapids have committed to him for the remaining, what, four or five months and what that means for whatever flexibility they have in the 24 hours that still exist in this window at time of recording. But this is a known quantity in Major League Soccer. This is a veteran guy in midfield, but this is probably the kind of signing you make when you don't want to commit to somebody long term because they are old. And when three or four of your other targets ultimately did not happen and you'd rather get the you'd rather get an imperfect signing than no reinforcements at all. Man, you said so many good things there. Uh, you, you didn't leave many scraps on the table for me. But I, I think the last thing you said was probably the most prescient, which is um, that he doesn't he doesn't look like the guy that the team was maybe going out for to solve all the problems and get them into the playoffs or the big signing that is going to work out for them for three or four years because he's not young, right? He looks like the kind of guy you do to, to fill things in, to make it look like you, you, you're still trying. The other way of looking at it, if I wanted to be really negative, is he's when you're, you've kind of thrown in the towel, but you also know that like you need to limp through the rest of the season um, so I think the one thing, positionally, I think what's really valuable about him is he's mostly an attacking mid or a two-way mid. And currently, the Colorado Rapids at midfield, you know, when Jack Price was on the shelf, if they were having three guys in central midfield, it was like, you know, drop Diego Rubio deep instead of having him at striker. Um, and then, you know, put Colin Werner and Brian Acosta alongside him. Or, um, you know, Brian Acosta 
Colin Werner and Max, right? Like they're just, you know, with, with, uh, with Mark Anthony K gone and with, um, Jack Price injured with a leg injury, the midfield central midfield options were really, really slim. Um, additionally, and this was a change we saw last night in the NYRB game. Um, one of the things that the Rapids have right now is a real question along the back line as to whether they're strong enough at, with, to play three at the back um, and push forward their wingers, or whether they really need to have you know four at the back effectively and and pin those guys back a little bit, um, and whether Gustavo Viasia is good enough or Lalas Abubakar can be consistent enough to um, be back there. And when you add a midfielder, you give yourself a few more options because one of the things that you could do with the with the Rapids is be 3-4-3 three, three with two wide wingers. And that means our lack of really good midfield options um, means that you don't really have to worry about it. You could play Colin Warner and Brian Acosta and and try and bypass the midfield as much as you as you possibly can. Um, but you can only do that uh, if, you know, you're happy with your three at the back. So you've got more options if you've got an additional midfielder. And I think Felipe Gutierrez offers that for all the reasons that you said. The two last things that I'll just add, Matt, that make me worried a little bit other than his age is that his production overall has just been falling for the last couple of years. Beyond his 2020 injury, in 2021, he only played 1,153 minutes for Universita Católica, and in 2022, he only played 963. Um, he's not a pencil him in or pen put him in pen as a starter guy currently in the Chilean Primera División. And I don't feel good about how that translates to Major League Soccer in terms of quality. And so what that means is he might actually be more like depth. But this is a Rapids team that doesn't have a lot of really exceptional frontline players. Depth was not what I was going for here, right? We really needed a marquee player who could bump up the overall quality of the team, take some of the, score, some of the scoring and possession pressures off some of our most usable suspects, like Michael Barrios, like Jossi Zardes, and like Jonathan um, Lewis. And I don't think Felipe Gutierrez changes that much. Yeah, no, those are all really good points, Mark. You know, I was uh, the question that I almost wanted to prompt you with is where you thought that was he going to start or was he going to come off the bench? So I think this gives you versatility because I think now that the best option and I've seen this the last two or three games in terms of midfield from a central attacking standpoint, is Diego Rubio in almost a reprisal of the role that he had in 2019, where he was like the false nine, the reserve striker playing behind Kai Kamara, and that allowed him to do a lot of the dirty work off the ball that still made him super valuable, but then he was as much a chance creator for himself as he was for other teams. But then now, this gives you an opportunity to bring in Gutierrez if you want to be super front forward from an attacking middle I want to say middle third, I'll say the middle channel of the field, you know, zone 10, zone 14, that kind of stuff. Um, so it gives you that flexibility at the same time. You could bring off a forward, you could bring off another attacker, move Rubio up, and then put Gutierrez in front of him is another possibility. But to your point, Mark, like the two big acquisitions that the Rapids have this season, or the three that they have this window, are Sam Nicholson, 
who is uh, who I think could push Michael Barrios and Jonathan Lewis to be a better versions of themselves or unseat them. I don't think you say, oh my God, we need help from a winger standpoint. You know, what's the one guy who's going to be a savior? Sam Nicholson is great, but Sam Nicholson, the year that he left for uh, going back to England and everything, like before COVID and everything, we were expecting like five goals, seven assists. A guy who gets you, you know, 12 goal contributions on the year isn't turning a team almost competing for the wooden spoon into a comfortable playoff team in a vacuum. Similarly, Ralph Prizzo is a great option in terms of we no longer have Cole Bassett. We need somebody to relieve a Brian Acosta, a Kellen Acosta, a a Colin Warner, a Diego Rubio off the bench from a midfield standpoint. He's not the big signing you come in to fix everything that's wrong in the midfield. You know, the, the answer to that question would be a very different player. And then similarly, Felipe Gutierrez is in that role. So if they can if all three of those guys can be energy substitutes, if they can help given the fixture congestion that we have coming down the season, that's fine. So it's adding the depth, but you know, Mark, nobody, I I made this analogy. I don't remember what the context was, but you know, I said, you know, nobody buys a BLT for the lettuce. And so while this is probably an upgrade in the lettuce, and you could even say that's maybe one of those three players that I just mentioned is a better version of the tomato. At the end of the day, the Rapids have gotten rid of Mark Anthony K still wanting something a little bit from a winger role and then having question marks about the short term role at center back I still think the club thinks the internal long term answer at the third center back role is already on the club Gustavo Viasia Abubakar Keita maybe a Mike Edwards in that still exists and everything at the end of the day the Rapids needed a bacon in a slice of bacon in the form of a box to box number eight who was going to calm things down in the midfield that was possibly going to be Latif Blessing, and I increasingly feel, Mark, that this is a signing indication that indicating that that's not going to happen. So if Sam Nicholson can either unseed Jonathan Lewis or Michael Barrios or force them to be better, that makes our winger play 10% better. If Giassi Zardes continues his upward trajectory after scoring two goals in two games, what, a week or two ago and everything, and he gets better, and if Rubio plays well and everything, and Ali Laraz comes back healthy, and the defense is better, and Lalo Sububakar doesn't have any more howlers, and they get a little bit of luck, and they find a way to win some games on the road, and if Ralph Prizzo, Sam Nicholson, and Felipe Gutierrez are all great depth options, do I think this team could finish seventh? Yes. Those were a lot of conditions yeah, thing, and I right. still don't, and I, I just, I feel that not enough was done in this window for me to feel confident right now, despite the result from last night, to say, I think if that the Rapids will make the playoffs. If I had to put a $10 bet on it right now, I would say the Rapids miss the playoffs. Uh, if, you know, I wake up tomorrow morning at, you know, 9.59 a.m., we get a press release email and a tweet coming out, Mark, saying that the Rapids bought Latif Blessing for $1.2 million and let's say another three hundred k in add-ons, I would reevaluate my answer to that question. But right now, I don't think it's enough. Um, I eagerly await the, uh, you know, arrival of old man Felipe Gutierrez, who will come back and avenge his failures from Sporting Kansas City to bring the Colorado Rapids to glory. Do I think that will happen? No. Listeners, uh, like 24 hours ago, the Colorado Rapids finally won a road game and it was 5-4 in an absolute barn burner. Major League Soccer uh, called it a nine-goal thriller. Mark, this is a nine-goal thriller in the same way that like a Little League game has a inside-the-park grand slam on a play in which four errors take place. Like the, the Angels in the outfield thing where like the pitcher like hits everybody in the face and everything. That was the kind of thriller that this game was. Calling it a nine-game thriller is negating things like uh, 
like a, a goal that got called back because of an offside at the very end of the game that was would have tied it up. Called uh, uh, the fact that a red card on a dog so got called back. Like you're gonna do the rundown of all nine goals, and our listeners who didn't watch this game are gonna miss a whole bunch of crazy stuff that happened because this game was bonkers. And literally, the only tweets I made about the game were in the most boring times because otherwise, I was like riveted and screaming, and my wife was like, "What is wrong with you?" Anyways, give them, give it to them, good Matt. Tell them all the craziness. <laughs> uh. So, six minute, uh, it's 1-0. Drew Yearwood cuts inside and does a little nice number on Colin Warner, who started in this game. A lot of flack from him, folks, but he would certainly clap back at the Twitter haters who wanted Ralph Prizzo starting in this game. So, Yearwood gets a goal off a deflection. Lalo Sububakar trying to head the ball clear and just puts the ball in the one area. William Yarbrough couldn't get to it. Ninth minute, it is 2-0. Aaron Long on a free header from Lewis Morgan off of a free kick. Some miscommunication there defensively from the Colorado Rapids. Danny Wilson visibly upset with Brian Acosta and Lawless Abubakar. 21st minute, the Colorado Rapids get one back. Both teams, Mark, pretty decent at pressing. I would say the Rapids, I'd say the Red Bulls are the best pressing team in Major League Soccer. Neither team dealt with the other team's press all that well. You would think two teams where it's like, hey, let's practice pressing and let's make the <laughs> opponent try to play the ball out. You think Lawless Abubakar and, uh, you know, Christian Caceres Jr. would know how to deal with that. But in the 24th minute, Christian Caceres Jr. did not know how to deal with that because he got picked off by Brown Acosta, who then played it off Diego Rubio, who found the far bottom corner. Tenth goal of the season for Diego Rubio. Uh, he is just one away from from tying his all-time high in Major League Soccer regular season play that he recorded with 11 goals with the Pids back in 2019. 23rd minute mark, a similar situation. Lucinius pressing Lalo Sububakar, who tries to take the ball down and then play it to uh, Keegan Rosenberry. He fails spectacularly, chases down Lucinius, grabs him outside the box, continues to keep grabbing him inside the box, making it a penalty, dragging him down. Drew Fisher calls it a penalty. He calls it a red card, goes back and looks at VAR and correctly realizes and interprets that Danny Wilson was the last defender back, was in a position to intercept Lucinius such that he was not straight in on goal. Therefore, it was not a dog, so just a yellow card, but the PK stood. There was contact and ultimately a fouling occurred that started outside the box, continued inside the box. That's a penalty. Lewis Morgan converts that on 28 minutes to make it 3-1. Keegan Rosenberry with his annual banger off of a throw-in in the 38th minute. Uh, kind of a boring 15 minutes to start the second half for me, Mark, as the Rapids kind of try and figure it out. They did have a tactical shift that I think took a while for it to ultimately get effective. I'll talk about that later on, but so in the 73rd minute, you know, Michael Barrios has a really good opportunity, but then the Rapids tie things up on a corner, Colin Warner with a garbage goal off of a rebound, off of a brilliant max header that Coronel saved with his face. Uh, that makes it 3-3. Three, three. Poor kid. He looked, he looked pretty shook up after that. Yes. Uh, Michael Barrios makes it 3-4 to four in favor of the Rapids on 80 minutes off of a great counterattacking sequence. Really the first time that the Rapids passed through the Red Bull press and then made them uncomfortable defensively in transition. Max Zardes and Rubio in the passing sequence. Barrios gets a deflection to ultimately get the goal. And then, Mark, we almost thought that Yaya Torre had the absolute barn-burning uh, winner to seal on 85 minutes when he scores a goal and then immediately gets body slammed to the ground by a teammate but then VAR gets involved and determines that Giassi's artist was offside in the play and affecting Cornell's play possibly with a nice little screen if I'm using the hockey term Mark and the Rapids are once again victims of VAR going back and looking at a indirect offsides in this situation but five minutes four minutes later 
89th minute, Yaratore gets his revenge, pouncing on a rebound set up from a shot from Diego Rubio, does the ears to the, uh, does the hands to the ears simulation because he could not hear the uh, New York Red Bull crowd, nor Drew Fisher blowing a whistle for VAR. Uh, and then things get really uncomfortable, Mark, in stoppage time. Uh, five minutes into stoppage time, Keegan Rosenberry called for a soft foul on Lukinas in the box. He does get the ball, but after that, ultimately steps on Lukinas's foot, even with the ball gone. Drew Fisser calls it a penalty. Tom Barlow off the bench scores that in 90 plus 7 to make it 4 to 5 in favor of the Rapids. And then two minutes later, Barlow appearing to put in a looping header to make it a 5-5 game, but then he is rightfully called offsides. Drew Fisher, Drew Fisher blows for full time. Mark, this game was insane. I spent way too much time talking about it, and I only talked about like two plays that weren't goals. Uh, Rabbi, this game didn't really have a plot, so normally I'd say good thing, bad thing, big thing, but where do you want to start, or do you want to try and define a plot in the chaos? I mean, I think end-to-end action has to do a lot with what you were talking about very briefly, which is these are two teams that decided to press each other and decided that the main um, the main way to deal with the press was to go long and bypass the midfield. So there was nothing happening in the midfield. It was just it, all the action was taking place on the ends. Um, and other than that, there was that middle, there was that little stretch where the Rapids were kind of backs to the wall, which was at the beginning of the second half, which was interesting because what it reminded me of was the thing that the Rapids are supposed to be good at on the road, which is that because they train at altitude, they should have an advantage over most teams from minute 70 to minute 90. Now, they haven't, but they kind of sandbagged for 20 minutes at the beginning of the second half, and then they just started to break out and cause all sorts of problems, and and they just ran at guys. I mean, there was a great moment at the very end of the game, Matt, where um, the Rapids were trying to kind of run out the clock. They had a 5-4 to four lead. Jossie's artist picked up the ball on the left side, and he just was running, in the words of Forrest Gump. I mean, he just decided to run down the flank and say, like, tackle me if you can, you fools. Um, and that kind of, like... 90th minute, you know, red blood count uh, advantage is what we should have been doing all season, but for some reason we haven't been able to, probably because we were chasing the game at that point most of the time on the road as opposed to leading. Like, we look really good with a lead on the road, um, and so that's another thing. I guess my big thing from this match was this team looked pretty good when chaos reigns. You know, they, they looked good. Um, pressing really well now the the, you know but of course the bad thing of that which i'll get to later is this was a defense optional game from both teams matt what was your what was your your good thing from this match other than winning on the road obviously yeah, so I think the halftime change was really poignant. Just Lawless didn't have it on the night, you know, obviously an unlucky bounce on the first goal. That was really, that was the only goal that I can't look at and say that it was obviously soft in that regards. You know, it was a mistake by him to put Lucinius in a position to be dangerous to where he had to give up the penalty that ultimately led to the second goal. Keegan Rosenberry, I don't think needed to step in. I think he and I think it was Barrios maybe who were kind of marking Lukinas and it wasn't a dangerous situation. We'll get to my thoughts on the officiating 
in a minute. But Lawless didn't have it, and I think Frazier realized that they needed numbers up forward. And to your point, Mark, kind of this game was just a matter of one team regaining the ball, and then either two quick passes got them out of the immediate pressure from the press, and then a player could look upfield and deliver a good ball. Otherwise, it was, oh my god, I'm dealing with pressure. I don't know what to do. It was a hospital pass. So it was a lot of, um, you know, the, I think in the, in the Premier League, you know, the reporters would say this is almost referring to like a basketball match in terms of the ball going just back and forth and everything. And really, it was about who could create opportunities off of that. In the first half, New York Red Bulls dealt with that chaos much better. In the second half, the Rapids turned those into good transition moments to ultimately disorganize the Red Bulls. And I think playing four at the back rather than having the five back, I think forced the defenders to be more decisive because they didn't it, you think of it almost subconsciously as oh there's an extra guy we're fine because you know if somebody's in the the middle center back is thinking I've got somebody in my right somebody in my left I can pass back when you only have four you know I think the spacing's a little bit different and maybe worked better for them given the angles of approach and the gap control that the New York Red Bulls were dealing with and then having it in a 4-3-3 rather than a 5-3-2 at times a 5-2-3 like they had in the second half, that gave them one extra player up top in a wide roll, namely Michael Barrios coming on to where then they could do something in transition. So you change the shape, you talk about it, you know, a little bit more, you could say that, you know, you have opportunities if we just execute. So then you force the players to execute, they do a good job with that. And then immediately that relieves the pressure out of the back from the press. And that puts you in a much better situation in terms of trying to play forward in that you're dictating play by using the Red Bulls press to create a pressure trap rather than not dealing with that first point of confrontation. And then inherently you're on the back foot, even though you still have the ball. And so I think part of that was formation. Part of that was personnel. Part of that was execution. Good on Michael Barrios. I'm sure there's some film study that's happening between now and Saturday to where Lal Sububakar is going to be more prepared in a better situation against Minnesota than he certainly was 45 minutes in, 20 minutes in against the New York Red Bulls. Uh, Mark Gallatore with his first, I, I would argue he scored two goals on the night, Mark. This, this should have been a 6-4 victory for the Colorado Rapids potentially, but you know, good on him. The hard work that he's done, the way that he's become and grown into being a threat with Rapids 2 over the season and now has been able to carry that into the first team and to do it in two consecutive sequences. And I think especially given maybe the emotional high and then the disappointment of having his you know, first ever MLS goal taken away from him to then refocus and be in a situation where he can have a poacher's goal with that was really, really good from him. I already mentioned one of my bad things, Mark, which was the Lal Sububakar, uh, which is his first half on the whole, but just soft defending overall. And then I think in particular, uh, soft defending in a way that ultimately allowed the official to take advantage of it. The only real call that I have that was ultimately the final decision that I take exception with maybe was the Keegan Rosenberry penalty in stoppage time of the second half. I understand the logic behind it because you think, yes, Keegan wins the ball, but then in the ultimate action of the play, he commits a foul on it because so you could argue that he had to reach from the ball and then in order to balance himself, he ultimately had to step on the foot of Lucinius and that's in the box and therefore it's a foul. I could see the logic behind that reasoning. I don't agree with it because at that point, the ball's already gone. He's already run the ball and in the seconds prior to that, Lucinius was already in a position where he was out 
out of control anyways. Now, one could argue then Keegan, like, find a way to, po- you know, to toe poke the ball away and then don't step on Lucinius. And if you have to, fall over so that you don't even make contact with the guy. So if anything, Drew Fisher thinks that it's a foul on you. So I understand the logic based how I've seen other MLS MLS refs call that to where there's logic behind it. I just don't agree with it. All of the other calls that were ultimately finalized, even after a VAR check, overall, I agree with. It wasn't dog, so on Lulsa Bubakar, Danny Wilson was back, but it was a foul, ultimately, that took eventually took place inside the box. That is a yellow card, not a red card. That is a penalty. And then uh, the other one that I was thinking about was the indirect offsides on Jossie's artists. I think that's a good rule. I am coming at this from a standpoint where I have been a defender in soccer and normally had a very good relationship with my goalkeepers. When I played hockey in might and even in high school, I was a defenseman and also a goaltender. I see the significance of what having a attacking player in an invalid position on the field does to how a goalkeeper has to manage that or in particular screening them from an offside standpoint. I think the indirect Direct offsides is a good rule overall that should exist in soccer. And I think how, despite what I have said and what can be said about MLS referees, pro, and the application of VAR, I think overall they get that right from a judgment call more times than not. It just so happens to be that I think there's been, I think that's the third, maybe the fourth now indirect offsides that has taken away a goal from the Colorado Rapids. So I can understand them being salty that that, uh, you know, that that keeps happening to them and thinking that there's something thematic or recurring or systematic about that but overall I agree with every single one of those that has occurred throughout the season and I agree with the call to make the first Yaya Torre goal invalid because Jossie's artist was in an offside position screening Coronel and potentially affecting his play Mark bad things for you Oh, well, like I said, I mean, de- defense optional. Um, your Laos Vubakar comment is, is right on, but I don't think anybody in the defense covered themselves in glory. Additionally, like, Colin Warner had a nice goal. I was really glad for that. Um, but I feel like his responsibility, um, first and foremost on this team, is to be that shield for the defense, for the back line. And he just wasn't physically there. Like, I think he wasn't covering enough ground. That might just be because. He doesn't cover enough ground at this point in his career. It may have been tactical. They may have been deploying him too far forward, and that might have been the reason why that worked out that way. But I'll I'll be brief. I mean, just like, it's hard for me, as great as it was to get a win on the road, uh, I am clearly a defensive snob, Matt. Like, I feel really bad about a team that gets a 5-4 to four win, but, like, concedes four goals. Like, we we... We needed to be spot on and picture perfect on the day offensively in order to earn a win because we were so bad defensively that um, in any normal match, we get blown out here and it's embarrassing. I mean, if the target if the target practice wasn't much better with game states, you could have seen this game ending 4-1. Now, that being said, like you could have also seen the Rapids winning at 7-2, so... There's some craziness here. Yeah, no, I think you highlight a really good point, Mark, which is just this team is not the defensive stalwart that they that they were last year. They make mistakes on set pieces. They make it easy for good teams and good players to ultimately take advantage of them. And unfortunately, a lot of their issues are very much, you know, self-inflicted. You know, two penalties that you gave up that could have potentially, that were certainly avoidable. Every single one of these fires that ultimately, you know, burnt down the house for William Yarbrough, none of the four of which were his fault, were all self-inflicted 
itself started fires. And so um, that's still a worrying thing for me. Uh, And I think regardless of the formation that we've seen the Rapids in now, pre-trustee, post-trustee, with Austin trustee, and now without him and everything, is that just Lalo Sabubakar is capable of having a howler. Keegan Rosenberry can have mistakes in him. Lucas Estevez is on this team and starting regularly because of what he brings in the attack, uh, which the team, rightfully so, I believe, sees as a net positive despite some of his defensive liabilities. And Danny Wilson can only do so much organizationally when he does not have Jack Price in front of him. And there's only so much that William Yarbrough can do uh, when he's dealing with the kind of chaos like he dealt with last night. If everybody, I think, races at 10% and Jack Price gets better and they just incrementally get 1% better every single week for the rest of the season, can they get back to where they were last year? By the time the playoffs run around, yes. But again, those are a lot of if, buts, and maybes. And we've seen enough sample size. We have a large of enough sample size in terms of this team's defensive performance to just know that they are not the elite defensive team that they were last year. That being said, Mark, I think... Uh, these types of games and the chaos that can exist in Major League Soccer, you can use that chaos to ca- that chaos results in results that are noise, not necessarily signal, but still the noise in that chaos can inform your perspective and your perception to then help you manifest reality that ultimately turns that noise into signal, if I'm making any sense here. And so I think, you know, this is the type of win that can absolutely turn around your season. And even if it's not proof that the Rapids have turned it around, because again, they've made so many mistakes and there's so many things they did wrong last year that were typical of them failing and losing on the road. This is the kind of thing to where you can say, okay, now I believe in myself. And now we're going to do this and that better and we're going to get a little bit better there and then from there you can ultimately turn that you can turn that thinking into the effort and the concentration and the effectiveness to ultimately create it to where we look back on this and see it as a start of signal even though it could have just been one random chance or the MLS scriptwriters drinking too much Red Bull and then spitting out a crazy thing and being like yeah this is fine it's a Tuesday game who cares Mark any other big things well we got to win on the road and that that breaks a duck and that's important for us um I think uh, in terms of like, you know, we we really need to string together multiple wins one after another. Um, there was also a moment, I think, I, I guess I didn't really think about this. I thought about it at the time, but I didn't really think of this as a big thing. But maybe this is a big thing, Matt. Um, there was the moment at which Lalas Abubakar was pulled off and they brought on uh, Michael Barrios, right? And if I'm not mistaken, at the moment, we were, I think the score was tied. Um, no, that was at halftime, Mark. It was still 3-2. Oh, okay. So we were down a goal at that point, right? Or we were up a goal? Down a goal. We were down a goal. Yeah. Sorry. So many things happened. I didn't really keep it all straight. So so to me, that felt like a gamble. And there was another tr- uh, uh, move that happened later, either when the score was drawn or when we were up one. And it felt fairly offensive. And my thought at the moment was, I feel like Robin Frazier's going for it, right? Um, I, I guess I could look back and, and tell you which move it was that made me think about it, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I got this very strong sense, and I could be wrong, um, and I often am, uh, but not that often. Um, I got this very strong sense that Robin Frazier and the coaching staff has probably figured out, we kind of need to go for it, Right. We could draw on the road and lose and win and draw and lose and win and draw. 
and that'll probably be good enough for ninth place. But nobody wants to finish in ninth place. We're at the point of the season now, as we're into August, that it's time to win. You need to win games, and draws are not going to do it. And so I think that's kind of a big thing for this team, is that they're going for it a little bit. Uh, let's move on to an Ask HTHL that we got. Uh, Mark from Matthew Schmeiman asks, uh, at Rapids 96 Podcast, can you guys help me understand why trading away Kay and Mosquita and then bringing in Priso and Gutierrez makes sense from for midfield tactics and from a business standpoint? Uh, Mark, do you want to take this one or can would you like me to go first? You go first. Um, so, uh, Matthew, I would say, first of all, it makes sense from a business standpoint because I think the reality is the club was probably not going to bring Nicholas Mosquita back or anything he as a old veteran player was potentially taking up a roster spot that they could use on a younger player who was going to have sell-on value, even though ultimately they let Mosquita, Mosquita, excuse me, go to Greece on a free transfer. Fundamentally, that was freeing up a roster spot that they could do something with this season and potentially frees up a roster spot long-term that could be operated by a homegrown, by a draft pick, by somebody who gets promoted from Rapids 2. So that's why it makes sense, I think, from a business standpoint, because ultimately, I'd say that makes sense from a long-term tactical standpoint because you're bringing in a young player who's elevating and growing as a player rather than a veteran player who's aging and ultimately declining and then potentially you're bringing in even though you're letting a asset that ultimately had non-zero value go for free that then frees you up more uh quickly to then bringing in a player who then could elevate in value so from a business standpoint that makes sense uh from a mark anthony k standpoint uh matthew i'll include in the in the show notes the article that i wrote uh with raheem bashir who covers La- uh toronto fc for last word on soccer with me and we kind of wrote uh, an article on both sides of that particular trade i just think every single player in major league soccer inherently has a value and has a price when they're moved within the league and when somebody's coming up and basically asking you know hey like name your price and we'll match it i think ultimately you have to and i think ultimately that made sense for them you know ultimately they doubled their money on mark anthony k and then if you're including if ralph prizzo comes what uh, becomes what Robin Frazier thinks that he can be, and Mark Anthony K has a good World Cup, and then ultimately is sold in January from Toronto to Europe for any significant kind of fee. Then you're talking about the Rapids really making bank. Mark, you and I both love Keegan Rosenberry. We both think that he is a great right back. If New York City FC came in and said, "Hey, we'll give you a million dollars in GAM." for Keegan Rosenberry and a 50% sell-on clause for him, Keegan Rosenberry, pack your bags, you're going to Yankee Stadium. Maybe. My, my price for him would actually be higher. Mine would be 1.5. But yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, so so that's where it makes sense from a business standpoint. And still, I think the Rapids are in a situation where getting a bunch of interleague assets is valuable to them because GAM basically turns into, you know, the budget into the war chest for transfer fees because I think the reality of both last window and needing a DP striker and ultimately getting Giassi Zardes for, you know, 
bottom barrel guaranteed price and ultimately getting him for all interleague assets and then now getting Felipe Gutierrez on a loan, no transfer fee, no option to buy and everything is still again buying low on a player just shows where they are financially. So if there's an opportunity for them to cash in on a player big, then they have to take that into account in the short term, which certainly benefited them. And they have to take that into account in terms of a roster building and uh, rosterbation rabbi in terms of thinking about does getting rid of Nicholas Mosquita now make it easier for us towards the end of the season or next year to bring somebody else on? You know, the key questions that I'm going to have in terms of veteran players next Next year is do you bring back a Drew Moore or a Steven Batesher who are veteran presences, uh, basically, you know, coaches who practice and then play about 500 minutes a season? Or do you see that as Drew Moore taking up a roster spot that could be filled by a draft pick center back that the Rapids could potentially get a GA player or a Mike Edwards actually being with the first team? Is Steven Batesher playing garbage minutes next year in 2023? Is that taking away from Sebastian Anderson, who potentially could do just as good of a job and then potentially be elevating as a player rather than deteriorating as a player? And so I think there's short-term implications in terms of what they had to do financially with Mark Anthony Kay and long-term financial roster flexibility that made sense from Nicholas Mosquita. Mark, what does the, if we think about this in terms of just straight personnel swap, Mark Anthony Kay and Mosquita going to one team in a 5v2 rondo or, you know, an interleague squad game versus Ralph Prison Gutierrez, how does trading out those two out, those two players in affect this team tactically in a way that ultimately makes sense for the team trying to make the playoffs and in a Prizo context, uh, obviously makes sense for the team long term. It's a it's a gamble. Um, I think you know what you're getting is you're basically saying, well, Mark Anthony K. The team was not as dynamic as I think they'd hoped they'd be. So what they wound up with is a team that probably needed a shakeup, but also more importantly, to your point, they got good good money uh, as an offer. Prizo feels like a project, but he looks like a player who has a big upside if you're willing to wait a year. So I think what it meant was Pork Smith being willing to say, we can punt on 2022, but Prizo makes 2023 look a lot better than it would if we just kept Mark Anthony K. The other thing I was going to say um, off of your Mosquito comment, which I like, is Mosquito reminded me of, I want to say Jacob Forsberg, but that's not right. What was the name of the Scandinavian uh, uh, winger that we had? Uh, Johan Blomberg? Johan Blomberg, yeah. Forsberg, Blomberg, it's all the same to me. Um, that's that's an old Jewish joke about Goldberg, Iceberg, it's all the same to me. But anyways. Uh, Peter Forsberg and Johan Blomberg are not the same person, Mark, and I know you don't like the hockey, but I have to say that I yeah. have to say that's the official opinion of holding the hockey. They're both Sweden. Whatever. So we, anyways, so we don't get angry tweets from Av's Twitter. Send me the angry tweets from Av's Twitter, who don't listen to the show anyways. Although, maybe they do, I don't know. Um, but anyways, the point being, point being this. Blomberg wasn't playing that much for the Rapids, and so when he was officially kind of sent off, um, the way it was revealed to me at the time, probably you at the time, or maybe disclosed publicly, I don't remember, was effectively, listen, the guy wasn't playing as much as he wanted to, his, he, his agent wanted to be able to make a deal somewhere else where he could be guaranteed to get playing time, we let him do that, we made the move, and he moved on, and everyone's happy, right? It doesn't serve either the club or the player if they're unhappy in their situation. And so the Rapids have been very good historically at letting guys go on 
Um, uh, Jose Mari is another example of that, right? A very good player for the Rapids, who I would have loved to have kept forever. But apparently he was unhappy and he wanted to go back to Spain. And so the club said, okay, fine, we'll let you go back to Spain. And so that's my take on Mesquita, which is he had a better offer and it's in the club's best interest to make sure that the players continue to be happy where they are. Because I think having a, and this feels like a regular, normal American workplace kind of thing, having a workplace where everybody likes working there. And if you don't like working there, your club will work with you to try and find the right solution for you. I think that's a better situation than being known as an MLS club that treats people terribly, that traps people into contracts, that makes them miserable, right? Like, you know, we're all watching the Cristiano Ronaldo drama over at Manchester United where apparently dude wants to go, but ain't nobody want to pay the big money for Ronaldo because his current contract has him at like 521,000 pounds a week. Like, you can't match that. Like, nobody can match that. Um, most teams in MLS can't match that for a season, right? Uh, what he gets paid in a game. So you've got a team that's kind of get, garnering a reputation that, like, yes, they'll pay you a lot of money, but you're trapped and you're never leaving, right? Um, the Rapids don't have a lot of money. All they have to offer to players who want to take a chance on Colorado is flexibility, and they don't want to ruin that. Well said there, Rabbi. Um, anything else we want to say about this, Mark, or just the... Um, okay, Mark, yes or no, given what we knew needed to happen, uh, I'll say from the Mark Anthony K trade to now, are you happy with the, what the Rapids have done in the window? No, not at all. I mean, like, but that's only because I want them to sign someone, you know, young and pricey who looks like they have a big upside for next year. Um, now that happens, that can also happen in the winter, but like, you know, it's much easier to see it coming out. I mean, you know, what I said on, I was on a a podcast with Mark Fishkin for NYRB and, um, to preview that game. And one of the things I said was, you know, we became a selling club when we sold Sam Vines and Cole Bassett off, but we haven't really replenished those guys in any way. Like Galvan could be that guy. And Viasia could be that guy. And Keita could be that guy. And Prizo could be that guy. But we don't really know that. And we don't really feel right now like we have the marquee player who would have complimented those, you know, maybe guys in the future anyways. And I think that's what we needed. We need a big, we need a big signing or even a medium signing. A big signing would be a Tim Howard size, size signing. And a medium signing would be a Jack Price size signing for 2023. And I think that would have made more sense in this window than the winter window because of the way Europe works. But we didn't do it. Mark, you've kind of alluded to this, uh, I, that possibly signing Gutierrez is an indication that a bigger move or another move isn't necessarily in the works or that they're not confident is going to happen. I don't want to believe that this is an indication of the front office saying, well, let's loan a guy and expend a little bit of cash because then we can use that as lip service to say, see, we tried without actually mailing in the season. I don't think that just simply, I don't think that getting rid of Mark Anthony K, bringing in Ralph Prizzo and Felipe Gutierrez is enough intent in terms of getting stuff over the line to actually make a run at 
the playoffs. I don't think that from that standpoint, I don't think that the front office like is straight up shipping or giving up on the season as all. Well. I certainly don't think Robin Frazier and current players are giving up on that, but I also don't think they're not swinging big in the transfer market. It's a reasonable it's a reasonable move, but not an exciting move. Probably not a game-changing move. My first feeling about Felipe Gutierrez because I hadn't really looked back is like he was kind of a guy I kind of remembered him, didn't remember him very well, but I thought, like, he's kind of old, and he's former MLS. Is this a Zat Knight signing? You know, and a Zat Knight signing, for those of you who are newer to the Rapids, in, I think, 2015, the Rapids were a hot mess, and the defense was a total dumpster fire, and rather than make a really big, important move, they went out and signed an unemployed former English championship center back who's just a big meat stick. I mean, the dude was just an absolute popsicle meat shield. Um, you know, he was completely immobile uh, to a degree that I don't think I've ever seen a player in Major League Soccer be as uselessly immobile on the field as that night was. Uh, and he played like three games for us. And uh, and they signed him as like, oh, he's going to fix our problems um, at the window. And they signed him, and I looked at it, and I was like, that doesn't, I don't know a lot about soccer at this phase of the game, but I don't think that's going to solve our problems. And lo and behold, he did not solve our problems. I don't think Gutierrez is that, but he also isn't like a game-changing, Shelzengashi-level big signing who's going to fix a lot of problems and get us to the promised land. The team isn't swinging for the fences right now yes. at the expense of next year or next January and everything, because if they want to keep... Lucas Estevez, then potentially there's a reported million dollar transfer fee that has to happen. Maybe they want to be a little bit more open in January. If they're not bringing in Giassi's artists, then that's money that they're hopefully going to commit to a different DP attacking player that they want to bring in as well. And so, you know, like the team isn't mortgaging 2020, the team isn't mortgaging 2023 right now to try and resalvage 2022. I think that is a prudent long term strategy. I can see given how the season has been given the frustration and kind of the underlining warning signs that you have about last year probably being an overperformance and a question of where this team's level ceiling floor actually are fans are certainly frustrated and I think given the comments that we've seen from Pork Smith and other people, Mark, that you and I have spoken to within the organization that, you know, I, I think in terms of what they hoped for and what they wanted to get done, I think signing a 31-year-old who could come here, immediately have a knee injury and, you know, ultimately not be effective on a loan with no option to buy wasn't the immediate first choice plan. But um, we can't halt, we can't always get what we want and you can't get Latif Blessing if you don't pay for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Mark, let's move on. Uh, this coming Saturday at Dick Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids will be hosting Minnesota United. Uh, the Rapids now find themselves 10th in the Western Conference. I should point out, folks, this is uh, – I looked this up. We're recording this during the first half of Portland versus Nashville. So depending on that, and I think there's one other game – tonight as well, um, those things could change. So in any case, Colorado, at time of recording, 10th in the Western Conference, 27 points off of 22 games played. They are 7-9-6. and six. They have a goal difference of negative 3. And at home this season, they are 6-2-3. and three. Minnesota this season, now 3rd in the Western Conference, 35 points off of 23 games played, 10 wins, 8 losses, 5 draws, plus 5 on their goal difference. And then away from the Allianz in MLS play this season, they are 5-5-1. Five, five, and one. Mark uh, Reynoso is back after them relegating 
Everton to USL Championship from uh, Major League Soccer a couple weeks ago. But Reynoso, Robin Ludd, their other key winger that they have, along with Fragapane and Michael Boxall, a center back, are all out with yellow card accumulation after another crazy game that featured more than four goals, uh, at least four goals for each team. Uh, they played Portland to a eight-goal draw on the weekend. Bunch of yellow cards in that one. Reynoso, Rapids killer out. Robin Ludd, false nine, winger, has scored goals against the Rapids out. Michael Boxall, veteran center back presence on a team that I still think has long-term issues at the center back position. Also out, Rabbi, what do we see in this game? What do we see in the Loons? What do we see in how the Rapids can try and make this a six-point week? Weird season for the Loons. Um, You know, they went in an eight-game stretch. They lost six games in the middle of the season, and they looked like they were kind of fading and falling apart. And then they've gone seven games in a row without a loss. 3-2 win over the Galaxy, 3-2 win over RSL, 3-1 win over Vancouver, 1-1 draw to Sporting, 2-0 win over DC United, 2-1 win over Houston Dynamo, 4-4 Nutty McNutterson against the Portland Timbers. So, But you said it well that they're missing a lot of key pieces. We're going to hear a lot of that for the rest of the season. Um, you know, there are guys who are totally burnt out and exhausted. A lot of teams have experienced injury. Um, a lot of teams are making moves to the transfer window. You know, like uh, the Rapids aren't going to get to play LAFC again. But, like, you know, if you had told me in March, like, hey, do you think the Rapids are going to face George Chiellini and uh, and uh, Gareth Bale on the same team this year, I would have said, that's insane. Not unless the Rapids are transferring to England, but that is exactly what can happen in Major League Soccer at this point, which is you'll wind up playing against a whole bunch of guys you didn't expect to, and as much of the players that you did expect, you're not going to see. So I, I don't really know what to make of this team right now. Streaky... Um, but very solid and currently, you know, in a position to move into the playoffs. This is a tough game. Um, this will be a difficult uh, match to get. And I, I, I don't really envy Colorado having to deal with this. You know, Dane St. Clair is a phenomenal goalkeeper when he's not kind of being boneheaded. I mean, he's, he's a little bit uh, mistake prone. Um, but he's overall a, a pretty solid player. And then uh, Bogakul Longwain is their um, you know, exciting player who's, who's really kind of turned it up on the wing. Um, and he is not in yellow card accumulation, Matt, because he was one of the names that I didn't hear you call out. So I'm pretty sure he actually will be playing this game. So I don't know. It, again, depth is, is an interesting one here. Um, Eric Miller's, I think, brother-in-law, Brent Coleman is uh, is on the bench for them, and so there's a chance there, um, and and so I think that would be uh, we can expect to to maybe see him start, maybe O'Neill Fisher, who's experienced, maybe Abu Dunladi, who uh, the most hyped uh, uh, super draft player ever to make almost zero impact whatsoever, um, but Dunladi might you know turn it around. You never really know. Dunladi came out I think the same year as Jeremy Abobasi. And Abobasi has really, you know, put in a really great career up till now. And Abu Dunladi is doing not a lot. So, I don't know. Uh, did I say anything cogent and intelligent, Matt? 
Uh, yeah, I think for the most part, you know, I would argue uh, my rebuttal to that, Mark, I believe Don Lottie scored. It either would have been the league game or the Open Cup game in Minnesota. And it was like him breaking the duck after so much time oh, without man. a goal as well. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, are, are the Rapids his easy team that he gets a layup against, I think, is a. Uh, is something to look out for. But to, to your point, Mark, like this is a team, every single player on this team is in orbit around the center of their universe that is Emmanuel Reynoso. And not having to deal with him is going to make this game much, much less stressful from an organizational standpoint. Did you and say I, Ludd was on a yellow card uh, accumulation also? Yes, Robin Ludd as well. It's nuts. I like. It feels like there's nobody, the regulars are not available, but Will Trap will be available, correct? Yes, Will Trap will be available. So, I mean, if I'm if I'm trying to handicap the lineup here, Mark, you know, Dane St. Clair has been in goal, so he's probably there. Um, we'll say Kamar Lawrence in the outside back position. I would assume Debossi in at center back, and then I think your call for Coleman is probably a, a good argument. And then I'm not sure what you do up top because there's kind of, other than Reynoso being the 10, like everybody else is kind of in a, a bit of a rotation role. You know, Fragapane can be in the middle. He can be up top. He can be out wide. You could say the same thing about Ludd, even though he's not there. So if Fragapane is your closest thing to a number 10, do you move him centrally? And then do you play Dunlady out wide? Do you put Amaria, or is it just kind of is do you put four guys up front and then it's free form jazz depending on what you're trying to do there um that all of these are good questions mark i don't have any answers to them and you know adrian he's got what three four days to ultimately figure it out so i think it'll be we could see something surprising or something unfamiliar from minnesota united in terms of personnel but i don't think that whatever surprises that minnesota could prepare in the week between knowing that reynoso is going to be out and then ultimately this game that that would be more dangerous than what you would do without having Reynoso, you know, like if you told me right now, you know, that the United States men's national team, you know, was playing uh, Wales in the World Cup and they didn't have to deal with Gareth Bale. I don't know that there's anything Wales could do with their personnel, with their players on a week's notice and everything that would be more scary than, oh God, we have to deal with an informed Gareth Bale because he's scoring goals for fun and playing 90 minutes with LAFC to close out the MLS season. So in that regard, I think it's a little bit easier. And I also think some of the squad rotation that the Rapids did actually actually benefited them because Michael Barrios doesn't play 90 minutes on his legs. Uh, Lalz Bubakar technically didn't play 90 minutes. I have to imagine he'll want to have a bounce back performance there. And then even though, you know, you had Gustavo Viasia, um and then Sam Nicholson were also out of the health and safety protocol. Sam Nicholson wasn't on the bench. It was a really young bench the other night for the Rapids. So then do you bring in the other veterans who can kind of just have a calm, controlled performance against a weakened and known opponent and then ultimately get the result? And I think if you get that to the point where, oh, God, we're going to lose to the New York Red Bulls and then we have to play Reynoso. And then can they find a way to get a draw? Can they find a way to scrap and somehow get a win? And if you can turn that into a six-point week, then I think – now you're cooking with gas potentially. And so this is this is a very good opportunity, but the Rapids can't screw it up. And so I think and so I think if they're prepared and if they play like we know how they can at home and it is a mature, controlled, intensive performance like we've seen at home professionally, then there's no doubt in my mind that the most likely outcome here is the Colorado Rapids win this game. So, um, you know, we'll see. Mark, do you want to hazard a preview or anything else you want to say, or shall we get out of here? A draw sounds uh, like a possibility here. It just uh, it just feels like Colorado uh, may have really spent a lot of its energy trying to get uh, this big game um, for, you know, uh, of, uh, of New York Red Bull uh, off 
in a positive way. That being said, it's a home game, so that's always fun, right? And uh, Matt, you going to be there? That is huge. That'll be great. I will be abroad. Uh, I leave uh, tomorrow morning, bright and early, not that bright or early, um, to go back to the Holy Land, to Israel. Um, I want to see a match in Israel, see my favorite club, Hapol Jerusalem, Hapol Yerushalayim. Um, but their opening home game is being held at a stadium that's an hour and a half away. It's like the Fort Lauderdale of uh, of uh, Israeli Premier League uh, opening matches. So I don't understand. I actually reached out to their social team to be like, dude, WTF, like what's going on here? And I got no response. So um, I may just have to kind of stumble into their practice, uh, you know, at, at midweek or something like that instead and just say like, hey, I'm a reporter and wave around my, you know, expired Pittsburgh Riverhounds media pass from 2019 to try and hope and say, like, uh, you know, I'm here to do an article on this team that I have no business interviewing. So it should be really fun, though. It'll be a good trip. And God willing, I survive uh, the next uh, 12 hours, 15 hours or whatever in transit with my small children on a tiny aluminum tube flying through the air. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Rabbi, are you going to be up at 4 a.m. to watch the Rapids on Sunday morning? Is that what time it'll be for me? I'm Googling right now, and Israel Daylight Time has it at 6.23 a.m. So if I round that out to 9 p.m. Mountain Time is 6 a.m. Israel Time, then that would be a 7 p.m. home game kickoff would be 4 a.m. local time for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's going to be uh, – it really depends very much on how uh, jet lag works. Um Children do not handle jet lag well, Matt. Um, we once went to uh, s- s- uh, South Korea with our kids um, and when Iggy was like four and Etta was one and a half. And uh, Iggy, was, um, Iggy was up at like three o'clock in the morning watching like uh, SpongeBob SquarePants in Korean because we had... <laughs> We had we he just wouldn't go to sleep and there's nothing to do. We were staying in this little hotel that had like three channels and it was SpongeBob and Korean. That's all we had. So you know it was. I mean, my kids. It's really funny. Uh, you know, my my in laws have cable and children's television in foreign countries is in is dubbed into the local language. There's no you know subtitles or uh, you know in in the foreign language. So you know one of the things that we do is we watch a lot of Nickelodeon Junior in Hebrew um, and. I get a kick out of it because I can usually understand the Hebrew. Um, whether my kids can or not, I don't really care. They're, we're having a good old time. So that should be good. Um, it should be a good time while we're there. And uh, I get to eat a lot of meat because in, in Pittsburgh, there's only one kosher. There's not even one kosher meat restaurant. There's a kosher deli and that's it. Um, and in Israel, every restaurant is kosher. Like almost every restaurant is kosher. So I will eat my way from one end of the country to the other. It'll be awesome. Uh, we are sponsored by Roughneck Scars and Ecos FC, makers of custom apparel that you can customize for your team, for your bachelor party, for your uh, uh, celebration, for whatever you want it for. They also have some stuff in their back catalog of old kits and old scarves that you might want to buy on a discount. That's our sponsors, Roughneck Scars and Ecos FC. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, how to read our written material, like my latest piece uh, an interview with Jack Price, and additionally, how to uh, send us an email uh, if they needed to. Yeah, absolutely. So listeners, follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi, at LWS Matt Pollard, and at 
Rapids 96 podcast. Check out all of our written work uh, at Pittsburgh Soccer Now, lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer, and our substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. You can view us in web form. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can also become a paid highliner, 5 bucks a month or 42 bucks for a year. Gets you all of that. Mark, I'll have something coming out hopefully in the next week uh, that uh, will be coming on that on our substack. Send us uh, your questions just like Matthew did using the hashtag AskHCHL on Twitter or if you want to get in touch via email rapids96podcast at gmail.com you can also support us on patreon patreon.com backslash rapids96podcast listeners we'll see you next week peace